Promotional consideration for Growing Greater Philadelphia provided by the Chamber of Commerce for Greater Philadelphia. This is the Growing Greater Philadelphia podcast, bringing you more of the interviews and stories from the Growing Greater Philadelphia radio program. Now, here is Matt Cabry. Let's start off with a little bit about Mike. That's the way I always like to start out, actually. And Mark had mentioned this, Mike, that you're native to uh, the greater Philadelphia region, in fact, southern New Jersey. Share with us a little bit about where you grew up and how you eventually found yourself at Widener. So I'm a lifer here for the Philadelphia region. I was born in our Lady Lord's Hospital in Camden, across the river. Grew up in Haddon Heights, which is a little town in South Jersey. I'm the oldest of uh, three brothers. Okay. So we're all really close to each other. The youngest is about three years apart from me. So I grew up in Haddon Heights, uh, went to school there, went to high school at a school called Paul VI High School in South Jersey. Grew up just like many of us here in suburban Philadelphia, close with my three brothers. You know, we worked together, we you know, played together. We were on a lot of the same teams growing up. Yep. Had a lot of the same group of friends growing up. You know, and in terms of kind of wider, it wasn't you know, this grand plan on how I would get there. It's funny, I have uh, two sons and a daughter now and you know, the whole college experiences kind of blown up in terms of searching for colleges back then it was yeah you know three applications i think i visited two and and none were online yeah none were online <laughs> and uh and i walked onto campus uh, met the coach and he said uh, gave me an opportunity to walk onto the team so that was enough for me and that's nice it's about that's as, great. as much of a grand plan as i had so speaking <laughs> of those grand plans take us back to high school and what your thought process was did you have a vision of hey I, i'm thinking of engineering or i'm thinking i want to do this with my life or like most of us were you kind of like i'm not quite sure what i want to do you know i was like just about every one of us i don't think i even knew what an engineer was or what an engineer did yeah at that time but you know my parents always instilled in myself and my brothers the importance of education and the importance of uh, going to college the importance of setting yourself up for a career. So I always know the importance of studying and yep. doing well in school, and that was important to me, and I enjoyed school. I found myself a lot stronger in science and math growing mm-hmm. up, sort of the STEM side of education. And uh, that's when I think some point in time, a guidance counselor said, you know, when I talked a little bit about that, is, uh, you know, you ought to consider engineering. And that was about how I got to, uh, into the engineering field. That makes sense. So with a, a name like Inincenzo, I suspect, and you've alluded to this, you've come from a really strong family and a strong community, folks who are there for you. Are there key influencers that have helped shape and guide your path in life? I suspect your parents have played a role, but are there others as well? There's so many, and actually some of them are here in this room here too. So it certainly starts with my parents. On my father's side, I'm the third generation here, so my both of my grandparents immigrated into the country. Yeah. On my, uh, my mother's side, fourth generation, so both of her grandparents and my mother's grandparents immigrated to the country. So, you know, there's something about the grandparents who grew up during the Depression area and kind of what they instilled in us in terms of education and hard work. Yeah. You know, certainly uh, growing up, teachers and coaches that have been uh, very important to who I am. Actually, I'll be coming up shortly here, be celebrating my 25th wedding anniversary. Nice. And my wife has been a key influencer throughout my entire career, especially with Pico. As you mentioned, my whole career has been here with Pico, and Pico has been really blessed to have so many very significant leaders in not only for the company and our industry but for the philadelphia community dennis o'brien is here is certainly one of those who's been very influential to me craig adams who is my boss for the last uh, five years Mm -hmm. very significant player ken lawrence and when i think about all of those formal leaders who have impacted me it's certainly very significant but also a lot of 
informal people. And I just think about, you know, part of I think what's helped me throughout my career is the idea that every interaction that you have is a learning opportunity. Yep. And often it's the formal leaders who take the time to spend time with you, teach you, and help you coach you. But more often than not, it's the informal interactions that you have that influence yeah. you. Yeah, for sure. I always love stories of, and I know we can all kind of relate to this, and, and I get these kinds of questions frequently from different folks, is how did you kind of land in that spot? So take us back to Widener, and you're kind of getting ready to wrap up, and you're on your job search. Did you do internships, and that's how you landed at Pico, or did you you know, just kind of walk through the door with an application or connect with somebody that you knew? But how did you score this gig with yeah, Philadelphia I, Electric you know, Company? I, I, yeah, I'm probably the worst person to talk to about career development, but because uh, yeah. I always feel like I backed into things uh, through my career. So my career was less about kind of planning where I wanted to be and how I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. But I do think it was kind of appreciating when I got there, how to make the most of it. So that was the same way on how, you know, how I chose Widener was learning that I was good at science and math and I wanted to learn that. So I did well at Widener. Uh, Widener had a co-op program. So in my first co-op, I had the opportunity, you know, they gave you a couple different choices and they said, well, you know, Philadelphia Electric is looking for somebody. It was the Philadelphia Electric Company at that time. Yeah. And they were looking for somebody in their testing labs. So that was my opportunity. It was actually up here on the fourth floor at it the labs this at this building, time. It was yeah. in this building. Yeah. Believe it or not, we were testing high voltage power equipment in the middle of Center City. Wow. You'll all be happy to know that that lab no longer exists in this building. <laughs> but that was the lab that was here at the time. And for me, it was, it was really an interesting lab because it was, you know, the whole uh, mad scientist type of feel. There was a little of that. There was the big power transformers in the room. And then in the back of the office where I had, I used to test uh, temperature and humidity instruments for construction that we were building Limerick at the time. Right. And it was a bunch of old refrigerators right. that had been tied together. Right. So we right. went from, from big high tech tower, you know, power testing equipment to refrigerators where I would go and, and just test temperature. But when I was kind of think about, you know, what did I really take from it? And what, what is it that really hooked me on with Philadelphia Electric at the time? It was a very, very entrepreneurial spirit. Mm. There was this kind of this attitude of they were going to help and figure out whatever you needed to do to test whatever you needed to test. Right. And if we had a process of procedure, they were going to execute it and execute it really well. But if they didn't, we were going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. It was very mission driven. Right. And they were really instilled in me very early the importance of, you know, when you touch something, somebody down the line is going to be using that piece of equipment, using that service. And there's someone down the line that's going to be impacted by that. And it was very early on is that, you know, you need to take what you do very seriously because somebody is depending upon you, whether it's testing some oil, testing some instrument. And there was this, that, you know, it's a little bit of a cliche, but they took the work very seriously. They didn't take themselves too seriously. Right. That's actually really insightful because, you know, even those early days, it sounds like what I'm hearing is the customer was actually always at the forefront. And that ripple effect of what you're doing in that lab today is actually going to have a ripple effect to not only a colleague who's working out at Limerick or somewhere else in the Pico, you know, universe, but ultimately, it's going to have an effect on how your team is able to serve your customers. It was day one that that was instilled in me, yeah. is that, that there were people that were counting on you. And so if it meant working late at night because somebody was counting on something the next day, it was double and triple checking what you did because somebody, that piece of equipment that you were going to send to test you know, somebody's safety, the quality of their work was depending upon that. And that was really instilled in us very early. Right. That had to be cool, though, as a college student, doing a co-op, you walk in, it kind of feels like this lab environment. It seems like a really cool environment to walk into, at least if you're an engineer, right? Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and you were able to parlay that 
co-op opportunity into obviously a full-time role working with the Pico team. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So how did you know, I don't know if it was that moment or if it was a year later, three years later, that what you were doing was actually clicking for you. It was the right fit for where you were in your career path. Yeah, I was thinking about that, and I don't know that I found the moment. I, I remember starting with the company, so I, I actually had two co-op stints here with Philadelphia Electric at the time, and then I was hired in uh, June of 1988. And I remember, you know, my first day of the company, there was a group of engineers that that we all worked for. Actually, Dennis was one of them, mm -hmm. and uh, they had all been with the company maybe five or six years. And I remember thinking at the time, it's like, I don't know if I'm going to make it that long. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> you know? So. You know, it's not like I came to the company thinking that, hey, someday I'll be here 30 years later. Right. But it was just one of those things where I just, you know, as, as anybody does early on in the career, things interest you, you get excited about what you're doing, yep. and the years keep clicking by. So I don't know that there was something that clicked specifically back then. I do know there was a period of time that I always remember kind of when things sort of changed for me career-wise. Mm -hmm. And it was, I had been with the company for about maybe five or so years. And it was at that time, you know, for most of us early in the career, you've been with the same place for five years, maybe doing, I was probably the second or third job, but really sort of the same type of job as, as an entry level engineer right. at that time. And um, a lot of folks were starting to interview for different portions of the company to get to different experiences in the company. And I remember interviewing a few times. Yeah. And I think I struck out all, it was over three year, and I was very, little discouraged, a little frustrated with, you know, I felt like I, I needed to be doing something new and, and didn't feel that I was particularly successful at it. And I had a, uh, one of my managers at the time came up to me and he said, you know what, you know, I just, you know, think about my, my career and just gave me some advice that it, it feels a little bit like mom and apple pie, but it really sticks with me today. And he said, you know what, don't worry about what work you're doing right, or what job you have. He said, you know, work on something that you think is really interesting to you. Yeah do work that you think is really important mm -hmm. and work with people that you like to work with. Right. And as much as that feels like a, kind of a mom and apple pie answer, it really, for me, it resonated and it changed things for me and it really just changed how I look upon my career and the jobs that I had after that. Yeah, and it's true. You know, you don't necessarily think about that as a young person, but when you hear it from a more experienced person who's navigated this world before, it may sound, to your point, either like pie in the sky or it may mm -hmm. sound like, is that really just career guidance? But it's real and you're experiencing that. And I want to shift that into, I guess, a little bit of the culture and then we'll get into some more of the business at Pico. But, and this was referenced a couple of times, you've referenced it. You've spent your entire career at Pico. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that's remarkable. I mean, it's kind of rare that we hear of people spending their entire career at one organization. We hear it every once in a while, but I feel like it, when we do hear it, it's actually someone who's worked at Pico. Right. <laughs> There's a yeah. lot of career folks who spend their entire career here, and there must be a reason for that. It's a great job, obviously, but Pico doesn't create a culture that's giving people a reason to transition. No, no, you're right. And actually, I'm 30 years at Pico, which probably just means I'm no longer the junior guy. Right. Yeah. Now you're the old guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, right? I don't even know if the old guy. I've got, uh, you know, it's over the last decade, I think I've attended over 10 50-year service anniversaries for wow. employees of our company. Wow. 10 50-year service uh, anniversaries. You know, and several of them wow. still uh, kind of in the field doing the work that they started doing when they started with this company. Yeah. You know, there's a little bit about that being in our industry, with the energy industry, but certainly with Pico, it is a great company to work for. Yeah. 
I think the people that work, I say this a lot at Pico, it's uh, with a lot of our employees, is that you know, Pico is a great place to work. It's not an easy place to work. Yeah. It's not an easy place to work and it's not for everybody. It is a 24-7 job, it is a relentless type of job. You know, you think about when conditions are at their worst and everybody else is kind of hunkering home safe, you know, you know, our folks are out on the street in the cold in all conditions. Yep. But there's something about the kind of that service mentality for the type of people that come to work at Pico. At one point in time, you know, almost one out of every five of our employees were veterans, mm-hmm. a military veteran. So that kind of that same first responder service mentality that exists in some of the other service providers around the, the region exists here in Pico. So I think you have a little bit of that type of people that run to this type of business. Right. That camaraderie. That the camaraderie that yep. you want to be in the action. You're a first responder. You want to yep. take care of things. I think that's part of it. You know, and then I think more important than that about the culture is we really have developed, and it was something that I grew up in, yep. thanks to the leaders who were here before me. It really is a culture that values uh, people. Mm-hmm. You know, as much as we probably have more infrastructure in the region than just about anybody. Right. When you think about all the pipes, wires, and poles, and trucks, and we're a big industrial type of an organization. But at the end of the day, you know, we are a people yeah. business. And I think that mentality around taking care of our employees, treating each other with respect, taking care of our customers and our communities, yep. and being a good corporate citizen has built that culture where people you know, enjoy coming here and want to stay. Yeah, absolutely. I want to reflect back on, and it could be a career moment here at Pico, or it could be a personal kind of growth moment for you. Is there a moment that stands out that you're exceptionally proud of when you think back on the past experiences you've had? Not moment, mm-hmm. I would say moments. Mm-hmm. And there's a theme for the moments and it's probably only important in so much that it says, I think what really drives me and it gets excited. And it's been moments throughout my career where the organization has been recognized, mm-hmm. whether it's been for our safety performance, whether it's been our performance and you know, we've had some major events, some hurricane storms and see how the employees have responded. Yeah. So I think that the moments that I'm most proud about is when conditions have been tough, challenges have been high, we've been under intense scrutiny mm-hmm. and the team bonded together and, and pulled together. And those are the types of moments that have, that have maybe, you know, being part of a team that really rallies around a, a challenge. Yeah. has been one of those. And, and Mike, that's a really good transition point for me to talk a little bit more about the business of Pico, if you will. Because sure. I will tell you, I think of Pico, and this was popping in my mind as you were describing that Pico is all about the people. And I think of you guys and professional men and women at Pico as problem solvers. And oftentimes, we generally, the average observer kind of takes Pico for granted until there's a power outage or Mm -hmm. there's a down power line and there's some sort of interruption that causes the unusual to happen. Mm -hmm. So I know many of us gathered in this room can kind of appreciate, at least at a high level, what Pico is, but I'm not sure if the average citizen goes beyond, oh, they're the power company. Mm -hmm. So my, my question for you is, how do you actually describe what Pico is? I'd say if we're doing our job well, we're problem preventers. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the best problem to solve is the problem that you never have. So obviously, you know, those days that people aren't really thinking about us are actually pretty good days for us. And it's a lot of hard work. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of folks out there working in really difficult conditions to make sure that you don't have to think about us at times. Right. We're certainly an energy provider, but I really view us as much more than yeah. that. You know, we keep the lights on, we keep the gas flowing. 
you know, I have some moments at my offices, which is in this building, I can look out and I see, you know, a good portion of the city. Mm -hmm. And I just have these moments that, you know, either getting in early in the morning or getting in night and you see all the lights that are on. And it really strikes me is that, you know, we are in every home in this region. You know, right. the, Mark mentioned some of the numbers earlier, 2.1 million customers, several million people and residents and each and every one of them are turning on their light switch every day or turning on their, their gas stove or their, their gas heater every day. So we really are a company that provides comfort, provides necessities, and provides you know, opportunities to several million people here in the greater Philadelphia region. Mm -hmm. And I'm very proud when I say that. Yep. I'm very proud of what it means to be part of PICO, but I also uh, don't take that responsibility for granted. Yes, we are the company that keeps the lights on and the gas flowing, but we have such an obligation and a pride about the commitment that we make to the community that we yep. serve, which goes beyond just keeping the lights on and the gas flowing. Yeah, and in that spirit, PICO has really evolved over time, certainly over your career, but even going back to you know, the original days of the Philadelphia Electric Company. Mm -hmm. And you referenced this, you kind of felt this even in June of 88 when you walked in the door mm -hmm. for that first official kind of engagement, if you will, as a young professional. Innovation. I know it's a term we use all the time today, but you felt it even back in June of 88. Sure. But innovation, collaboration, community engagement, geographic reach. PICO has continued to evolve kind of constantly over its history. How do those attributes kind of define the PICO of today? So I was thinking about this conversation we're going to have today. I actually have a book that tells the history of the Philadelphia Electric Company. And our history dates back to 1881. Wow. You know, it was the Electric Brush and Light Company, you know, and then the whole description was, you know, how electric lights and uh, the electric power was really started to make its debut, you know, here in this city at the centennial celebration in 1876, just right down the street in Memorial Hall, yeah. which is now the Police Touch Museum. Yeah. You know, and back then, just having electric lights was innovative. Yeah. And then you think about the whole evolving over the 20th century, uh, the electric grid was considered the top engineering invention over the 20th century. Think about computers, you mm -hmm. know, flight, all of those things that happened in the 20th century. The electric power grid was considered the most significant engineering advancement of the 20th century. Today, it's still critical for what we do, but it's changing dramatically. And right. in some ways, the power grid that we have today still has its roots back in the early 20th century. Right. But that's changing so much. We're going from a one-way power grid to multi-direction. There's the desire to make it cleaner. Right. There's a desire to make it more resilient, more efficient, mm -hmm. for helping people to use less energy, to become a more energy efficient, to be more reliable, to be more resilient, to be more secure. Right. Uh, we are certainly living in a different world today in terms of safety and security. Right. I remember early on in my career, I was working out in one of the suburban regions, and I got a letter in the mail. Mm -hmm. And it was from a farmer who sent us a letter that said that his lights were out on his farm, and if we could get out there, he'd right. really appreciate it. Right, right. <laughs> you know, it, just, it just struck me how, you know, today, as soon as the lights are out, I'm getting tweeted all over social media yeah, that my right, lights are off, right. and when are you coming to fix us back on? So just the, our reliance on energy is so much different. 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, losing power was an inconvenience. Today, it's critical to everything that you do. You know, as I look around the room and so many business leaders, how many of your businesses are tied to your electric power, your gas service, and the impact that we have not only on customers and homes in terms of their comfort, but the economy. Yeah, right. Um, it's just so, so reliant. So right. 
the innovation about making it more reliable, making it more resilient, uh, providing more choice, right. customers changing expectations. Yeah. That same customer who uh, sent me a letter yeah. 30 years ago is now on social media and is now connected with multiple devices, yeah. is now doing business with the Amazons of the world and the Googles of the world and doing everything through their phone, and they expect the same out of us. Right. You know, they don't expect to write me a letter or pick up the phone and call. They expect to be able to do business with us in different and creative ways. Right. That farmer is probably producing in a much higher and more efficient way, the same way Pico is. His business is changing as well. Yeah, absolutely. Mike, speaking of that evolution, I'd love for you to share with us the context of Pico in the world of Exelon, because that has really allowed your team to not only expand geographically, but be part of something that is allowing you to be more successful and more efficient as well. It is. It's really been critical to who we are today. We've grown from Philadelphia Electric, which is kind of the small southeastern PA company, to part of Exelon. Exelon is the parent company and uh, is one of the largest energy providers in the United States. Exelon is broken up into a couple of different business units. We have the uh, sort of the competitive side and the regulated side. On the uh, competitive side, we have uh, Exelon Generation. Mm -hmm. We are the largest nuclear uh, generator in the United States, but we are also one of the largest provider of generation in general. So we also provide solar, we provide wind, we have gas. We are the largest clean energy provider in the United States. Wow. So can we just pause on that for a second? You're the largest clean energy provider in the United States, the Exelon family. The Exelon family. That's impressive. It is. And it's important. And it's something that one, we take pride on. And two, we just think is important to the role that we play in all of the communities. Right that we serve is we are stewards of this planet that we live on and I think we really have an obligation to make sure that we take care of it the right way and and we take that role very seriously. Yeah, and a couple examples if you can touch on these even just a little bit. I know there's a solar facility up in Bucks County, there's a microgrid operation you're working on with the team down at the Navy Yard Mm -hmm. and other kinds of what I would call less thought of power sources. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody thinks of electricity, but they don't know how it's getting there when they flip on the light and natural gas that's being supplied to homes and businesses. But you have these alternative sources of energy that are really starting to become more part of our everyday access to clean, reliable, affordable, sustainable energy. Right. So if you could talk about the Bucks County gathering of solar panels, for example, if that's well, I'll talk about that and just in general, it's, it's you know, I'll get back to kind of the investments that we're making in the grid. Yeah. And the fact that the electric grid of today is not the grid that it was 10, 15, 20 years ago and is not the grid that it's going to need to be in the next 10 or 20 years. And, you know, the grid was designed for sort of a one-way feed. You know, you have a central station, power station, you feed transmission out to the substations, it's all distributed, it all feeds one way. Now you have people attaching to the grid in multiple areas, whether it's a big solar farm up in Bucks County or whether it's the individual solar that sits on someone's rooftop. All of those need to be able to feed back onto the grid that wasn't necessarily thought of 50 years ago when the grid was designed. And so we need to make investments today that enable the grid to be able to be fed from multiple directions, all while continuing to make it reliable recognizing that some of those sources of generation are intermittent. On a hot 95-degree day where the sun's shining, that solar farm's going to be putting a lot of energy onto the grid, and we're going to be using that, distributing that, and feeding a lot of the customers. And then at night, when the sun goes down, somebody's got to make up that difference, and and we need to be that same grid that's there to to provide that. Right, that makes sense. One of the things I want folks to appreciate, and maybe we all do already, but 
Pico is and always has been an economic development driver, and not just with creating jobs, obviously, for Pico, but for helping to attract businesses to come to southeastern Pennsylvania and to the greater Philadelphia region. And we work really closely with Phil Eastman of Pico's Economic Development Office on this kind of work. And frankly, we, but mostly Pico, does this with all of the counties, including Philadelphia County and the surrounding Pennsylvania counties. They're intimately involved in helping to plan that kind of growth for companies because a company can't land here if they don't have the infrastructure and the access to that kind of energy. And where I'm going with this, Mike, is I was hoping you could expand a little bit on that commitment to growth in the region as you guys are thinking about innovation and planning strategically for the future of how that is part of your leadership at Pico with your team. Sure. I'll actually touch on the piece you talked about first about the job creation, because I think that's an important part of it, is we have become a growth part of our company where we're making more investments into the infrastructure than at any time in my career. Hmm. So the investments that we're making to make the grid more safe, more reliable, more secure, make it attractive towards new investments coming in there, those provide significant opportunities. So not only are they jobs for PICO employees, they are jobs for our partners. Mm-hmm. There are the suppliers that we do. So one of the things that we really take very, very seriously is making sure that this economic opportunity is one that is shared by the region. Mm-hmm. So we take a lot of pride in investing locally Mm-hmm. As we talk about our service partners that we do work with, mm-hmm. our suppliers, investing in diverse businesses. You know, the Philadelphia region, as we all know, is a great place to live and work, but has challenges. Right. And we have disparity across our region. We have areas that are doing really well, and we have areas that have been left behind. And we really do feel that we have an obligation to making sure that the opportunities that have been created for PICO by our customers are then shared back with the region. So providing workforce development and and development opportunities for the underserved communities that we serve, making sure that we're investing wherever we can to try to find local investment opportunities so they can share in in this opportunity. And I think that, you know, the next part of your question was around attracting business. But that feels like the blocking and tackling before you can get to the trick place as you get later. I, I think the... You know, the attracting the external businesses and the, you know, in the Amazons and others of the world, I mean, that certainly is a headliner, but I think taking care of the home front and making sure that we have a, a really thriving, active community and commodity is the first step of that. Right. You know, nobody wants to come to a region that isn't thriving, that doesn't have jobs, that doesn't have a great talent pool. Right. And so I think all of us have an obligation of really doing the things that we need to do on the local front that becomes that ground game before you can get to the, uh, the aerial game. Yeah. At the end. And Mike, I want to drill down on that for a moment because I think it's an important distinction. And I'll use you, and, and I had a privilege to meet your colleague, John McDonald, earlier, a proud judge grad who is also an engineer. <laughs> you guys have kind of grown up in PICO together. But you guys are both engineers. But you also have a commitment to your point a moment ago of creating jobs for those who have more of the trade and technical skills that are actually the foundation for a lot of the work PICO does. And I know you have a great program with the Williamson School and with the Delaware County Community College and ensuring that those who, maybe college track isn't the right path for them, but they have access to great jobs like you offer here at PICO. And it's an investment that your team is making. Well, it's an investment that we're making and it's really part of not missing the opportunity that this 
kind of moment in time and this opportunity to invest it. And, and it's not just our company, but it's, you know, it's the entire energy industry. It is a changing time for the energy industry, whether you talk about gas, whether you talk about electric, whether you talk about solar and renewable jobs, whether you talk about all of the technology that's required to make the grid safe. There's a tremendous opportunity. A lot of those jobs and a lot of those trades mm -hmm. can be, they're, they're great jobs. Mm -hmm. They can lead to generationally changing wealth. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we have yeah. a lot of our employees that were able to come here with a, a high school <coughs> education and they're sending, you know, multiple kids to college mm -hmm. because they've been able to really change the trajectory of their families. So it really is important to us. So we do have relationships with community colleges, mm -hmm. with, as you mentioned, Williamson Trade School is another one, uh, but all of the county community colleges. We do work with the Philadelphia OIC, the Philadelphia Energy Authority. We've made contributions to them to train in new energy jobs. Right. And then we do a lot of just trying to expose, you know, the first step towards a job in the industry and just being aware that this job exists. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't know what an engineer was until my high school guidance counselor said, you know, you're good at science and math. Right. And what we find is we go to the, some of these communities is folks don't even know that some of these jobs exist and that what it takes to get them. And, and that's what we're really trying to do is, is meet with some of the kids while they're in grammar school, while they're in mm -hmm. high school, let them know that these jobs exist. And, and maybe if college isn't the career path that you want to take, or that's for you, there's a really other good path that you need to take. Right. But it's still, you got to show up for school every day. You got to take your schoolwork yeah. seriously. There's some things that we can do to prepare you and make you ready and inspire you to do those things that you need to do because there's a really good opportunity for you at the end of it. Right. It takes a good education just a different path. Correct. Yeah, totally. And, and you're right. Exposing young people to different paths in life so that, like you experienced, you know, what do you do with math and science? Even though I'm good at it, maybe right. I don't love it, but I'm good at it. What do I do with that? And when you expose a middle school or high school or to different tracks, then it gets their mind going and they start to experience different connections. Correct. I want to talk with you about in this spirit of what's missing. You know, and this is more of a wearing your corporate hat as a leader of one of the <laughs> largest organizations in the city of Philadelphia and in the greater Philadelphia region. Not just an energy company, but a good corporate citizen who is leading the way on lots of different projects. And I want to ask that moment of inflection of what's missing that's holding our city and our region back. But I'm going to give you a second because I want to let folks know a couple things. So this gives you a chance to think a little bit, Mike. <laughs> it's my um, prep time, huh? Yeah. One is we're going to open the floor to questions. So if you have questions, you know, don't hesitate to raise your hand. We'll come around with a mic and uh, you can ask your question. But I also want to just explain for folks that our goal when producing this podcast and even the television program is, yes, we want to inform those of us who live and work in the greater Philadelphia region about all of our assets, like safe, reliable, affordable energy. It's one of the things we tout frequently when we're hosting guests from outside the region, but it's also intended to reach folks nationally and globally. So they can listen to a story about what's happening at Pico whenever they want to, and there may be a site selector or a company in Europe or South America or somewhere else in, in North America, and they're thinking of expanding. We want them to, at the very least, say, wow, I didn't realize all this was going on in the greater Philadelphia region. Educate them a little bit. If they express interest, we can send this to them proactively. They can find it on their own and learn about the region. And that's really the purpose of this. So I share that so you can think about ways you can help share that message about all of our assets, including our great, affordable, reliable, safe access to energy. So Mike, what's missing in our greater Philadelphia region that you think could really help us move the needle? One, I think there's a lot of things that are going really 
well. Yeah. And I think the collaboration that you talked about was was certainly a huge part of that because I, I think you know sometimes we can dwell on all the stuff that we don't have and then when you really look under the hood we got a lot of assets already and sometimes it's just connecting the right folks together again some similar to what you talked about earlier with attracting folks to our area but i do think there is some opportunities in what is missing and if you look at and towards the end of you know what is the end game and if the end game is look we have to be climate change is real and not only is uh, going to impact us it's impacting us today as we're mm-hmm. seeing more severe impacts for weather we have to be able to address that technology is changing and that can be both an opportunity and it can also be a challenge customer expectations are changing so for me you know the technology is there you know obviously the weather is there for us and for our line of business there really needs to be more thoughtful policy around kind of energy policy and enabling some of the things that we talked about and enable the role that we play. We are very active in trying to change some legislation and to, to help us play a bigger role. Things like more cleaner power in the energy stack. Mm-hmm. You know, I think more carbon-free energy is something and use of renewables is, is really important. I think the role that we can play as the utility is important for that. Electrification of the transportation fleet you know if you talk about emitters of carbon into the atmosphere certainly the energy industry is one and we've been very aggressive in trying to clean that stack as we mentioned earlier yeah but the transportation sector is a big part of that Mm -hmm. and so the electrification of the transportation sector and there's a lot of barriers towards that happening so we're trying to work some areas that we can make access to charging stations benefits to customers who decide to, to use electric vehicles right uh we talk about access to solar expansion of the gas infrastructure. Hmm. It's been a revolution back with the Marcellus Shale. We in Pennsylvania sit on one of the largest deposits of uh, clean burning natural gas in the world. Mm -hmm. But yet we have customers in our region that don't have access to it. Right. So being able to expand the gas infrastructure so that that we not only can have access to it for residences, but we can use that to drive the economy. There's a lot of products and services that provide access to natural gas energy efficiency, mm-hmm. helping to drive incentives to make investments for people to use not only cleaner energy, but less of it, if we can be more right. efficient on what we use. Yeah, let's make it easy for yeah. people to do that. You know, and the, and the last one's a little bit more subtle, and it's really about, and it's really kind of how our industry was, and our whole regulatory model was developed, and it's really around social equity. Hmm. And for me, it is around technology and investment in technology and these products and services and customer opportunities they shouldn't be for the folks that can just afford them. Right. They really should be basic levels of services that all of our customers can benefit from and enjoy. And I think you know we are in a unique position to help to, as along with others, to help provide that. So it's really around some policy change mm-hmm. that helps us get to that in a smart and thoughtful way. And I will say, you know, it's you say what's kind of missing or what's holding us back. I will say we're very fortunate in our service territory between the regulatory front and the legislative and the policymakers, I think we have a very, you know, a thoughtful and engaged group of leaders that are working that with us as we speak. Yeah, and I want to talk a little bit more about that, but I love your touch point on inclusion, regardless of a person's zip code or ethnicity or financial place in our society, they should have access to all the technology that everybody has access to as well. And I think that's a really to your point, subtle but super important distinction that we shouldn't take for granted and we shouldn't forget about. You know, PICO is often, at least in my mind, considered to be the ultimate collaborator. People are coming at you all the time to help and to work on projects, as we were talking about before, that kind of solution-oriented approach. And many of us may recognize that our Chamber of Commerce for Greater Philadelphia 
has several action teams. Pico might be represented on all of them, but I know their favorite <laughs> is the Greater Philadelphia Energy Action Team. And you're collaborating with a bunch of other business and civic and academic leaders in that energy space to bring about some of the change that you were just referencing. And I was hoping you could expand a little bit on the role that your team, that you and Pico is playing with the Chamber's GP operation. Yeah, it is something, you know, we do feel that we play an important role, and uh, I think we are on every team. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Based on the roster. I, I want to just tell a little bit of a story of an example of a, of a project that we had that, that I think sort of illustrates it a little bit better for me about what it looks like and what, what's the so what of it. Hey, so you're promoting energy, you know, you're promoting clean energy, you're involved with a lot of economic, you know, so what? Mm. Why should anybody care? And, you know, right. I'll, I'll use the, uh, you know, the one example of a, a project that we just recently worked with, and it was down in Chester, and it was the Kimberly Clark plant. Mm. And I just think it's a, an example of the role that the chamber plays. It's the role that collaboration. So the, the story is, is Kimberly Clark has a cogeneration facility. Kimberly Clark has multiple plants around the United States and had a decision to make to make an investment to either reinvest in this generation plant, which was an oil burning plant, was old and polluting and not efficient. Right. Or they could make a significant investment in a new natural gas plant that would provide power to their facility, but it required a lot of things to happen. Right. And it required, first of all, it required Kimberly Clark to decide that they wanted to make an investment here in Chester versus picking up shop and moving it somewhere else in the country. It required a lot of natural gas, which does not exist mm -hmm. in that area. So there was a partnership with New Jersey Natural Resources, the Delphi Gateway Pipeline, to actually reverse the flow of an existing pipeline that was flowing out one direction to flow back with natural gas, repurpose the pipeline, uh, had a lot of compressor stations on it, and it required a pipeline extension for Pico. Right. And kind of the so what of it is and the why it's important is, you know, it required approval from the Kimberly Clark and their board and a timeline for that. It required us to have an agreement with the pipeline company and to sign agreements with that. It required federal regulatory approval. You know, and each and every one of these pieces could have very easily fallen apart. In and of itself, none of the three projects would work on their own. You could have walked away from any of the three projects and nobody, no, none of our individual company boards would have thought any less of it because in and of themselves, they were not economic mm -hmm. and they were not valuable but through a lot of great efforts. So Phil Eastman is here in the room, he's one of the teams, yourself and your team, mm -hmm. that worked very hard with it. Pulled all the parties together and it felt like it was you know, the guy, you know, the old guy on the variety show with the spinning plates on the, yeah, you know, right. trying to keep them all right. moving. But at the end of the day, we were able to get the deal done. We had a groundbreaking of it in uh, the fall. Mm -hmm. And the so what of the story is that 600 jobs That's in the right. city of Chester that are saved, that will be committed to the city of Chester for you know, the next 10, 20, or 30 years. So I think, you know, our role on the various committees that promote development in this region and coordination and partnership, that's the why it's important. You Absolutely. Know, there, there, there are 600 families that have jobs because of all of that coordination and collaboration. That's right. It's a huge so what when you think about 600 jobs being saved in Chester, Delaware County, which needs to be lifted and continues to need to be lifted. And it wouldn't have gotten done without. It comes back to that innovative, creative solution-oriented approach that everybody at PICO takes, mm -hmm. to your point. Folks, we have time for questions from the floor. If you have a question, if you could raise your hand, and, and Tony is going to come over and provide you with a mic so you can uh, ask a question, and we'll go from there. If you could just share with us your name and where you're from and ask your question, that'd be great. Sure. First of all, uh, thank you very much. Very insightful, and uh, thanks for what you do in the veteran community as thank well. 
Norm was on our veteran Shark Tank a couple of years ago, so it's, uh, it's great to see him. So, question for you. Alex Archowski, I'm with Sales Evolution, but also I'm here with, in the veteran space, helping Philadelphia become a great destination for vets. Yeah. And I know Pico and Comcast, great leaders out there. So one of the things was really insightful, what you said, two things is, you know, firefighters and first responders, how you guys started the business of going into it. But one of the stories that we don't hear a lot is a lot of the crisis that you guys work with, like natural disasters and everything in the community that doesn't really know this. So in the sense of what does Pico really do? It feels like there's two sides of the business, the engineering side, and then there's also the, how do you do first responding yeah. for natural disasters? Yeah. I think it's an amazing story, which really the community does not know. And also it could help with recruiting. Yeah. So if you think about it, there's amazing stories about logistics, management of people at the last minute. It's almost like the National Guard being deployed yeah. for natural disasters. So can you elaborate a little bit on that, of uh, the collaboration and how your office works like that? Sure. You know, obviously, when a natural disaster hits, whether it's extreme heat, extreme cold, or especially extreme storms or emergencies, it, you know, it impacts the energy infrastructure. And if the energy infrastructure is down, it affects everybody. So we have a long history of you know, not only responding to storms and emergencies in our areas, but of collaboration with the industry. You know, the example I'll give is, well, I'll give two examples. One is when Hurricane Sandy hit here. You know, that was one that affected the entire East Coast. There were probably 8 million customers that were impacted on the entire Mid-Atlantic East Coast region. We were able to bring resources from afar away as Arizona, New Mexico, Canada to come in and provide relief. And similarly, for us, when we go elsewhere, we, uh, as everybody is aware of, uh, Puerto Rico suffered uh, a significant disaster with the hurricane that hit there a year and a half ago. We ended up sending uh, crews from all four of our Exelon utility companies, uh, ourselves, Pico, uh, Baltimore Gas and Electric, PHI, and Commonwealth Edison, all sent a contingent that uh, went there. But it's one thing when you're helping your neighbor utility here in the United States. We get in the trucks and we drive, and there's a lot of support that happens for that. You know, there's no, there's no way, easy way to get to Puerto Rico, so you've got to load up trucks on barges, materials, equipment. You have to fly the personnel there. But your comment, to me, there's a couple of things there. There's the whole logistics. You know, it is when you think about a response to a major disaster, it, it's almost like a military operation. Yeah. It is almost like when you think about the logistics for the care and feeding of the first responders, but also the care and feeding of the customers and the impacted residents that you've got to coordinate with police, fire, community organizations. I mean, it becomes a military type of an operation. And then there's the people piece. So you think about the mentality of the folks that are doing that work. You know, in some cases, folks have left their homes to go put lights on and restore to other people when their own home is destroyed. So we have our employees that are, you know, leaving their families behind in the dark when there's damage to their own homes to go to put the lights on because that's, you know, that's their duty. We often forget about that part when the first responder, if you will, PICO employee is going out on the front line to help others in the right. community. It's really, uh, it's really impressive. Folks, believe it or not, it's been a fast hour. We have only about five minutes left, so we have time for one more question from the floor and then a couple other wrap-up questions. Okay, thank you quickly. Thanks for the thank chamber. We're, this is Steve Wills, Calper Chairman, Human Capital Assessment and Development. Thanks for the chamber, Pico for hosting it, Rob and Matt for their team. Thank you. I can't let the Father Judge shout out go out <laughs> without a Bishop Egan graduate <laughs> shout out. There you go, John. Um, 
Mike, kudos to you for your self-made career. A uh, question on sustainability. As How do you or PICO or Exelon view over the next 25, 50 years? Do you see any significant change in the, uh, the ratio of energy resources? Uh, absolutely. We need to continue to drive towards a cleaner energy stack. Uh, renewable energies will be solar, uh, wind, uh, hydro, and other technologies. I'm sure there's probably technologies that you and I can't imagine today that will exist in the next 15 years. Not only do I think it will, I think it needs to be. And the opportunity for us, or mandate on us, I'll say rather a little bit stronger, is that not only do we need to prepare in the event that it could come, I think we have to prepare and we have to build today so that it will come. Because I, th I, just, I just think it's important that we, you know, we have an obligation to make sure that we, we are good environmental stewards and renewables will be a huge part of that. Did you want to do one more question, Antonia? Hi, Ann. Hey, good morning, everybody. Ann Bovaird Nevins with PIDC. Uh, PIDC and the Urban Lands Institute yesterday hosted an event um, that a number of your colleagues were in attendance at around the future of work. We heard a lot about automation and artificial intelligence, and I wondered if you could talk a little bit about what PICO is seeing in that field right now, how that might impact your current workforce, and where you think there might be new opportunities for new jobs kind of coming out of technology advancements in those types of fields. I don't think we're unique in that area. You know, the whole digitization of our economy, automation is changing everything that we do. You know, you know, the one example I'll give is, you know, it's a very simple example, but the, uh, the meter, the meter in your home. Hmm. When you grew up in the meter on the home, probably if you had an indoor meter, somebody knocked on your door and went down to your basement to read your meter. If it was outside, somebody went and read your meter, you know, and once a month, you know, once a month we had a single data point that said how much you used from this month to the last month. Today you have an automatic meter that tells me, it can be as low as a five minute, but for every 15 minutes, how much energy you use, what's the voltage, whether your lights are on or off, how do you compare, and then you, know, you take that data and just multiply that from one data point a month of the read to all of those data points every 15 minutes, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 30 days in a month, and just you know, do the math on the data there. We've got sensors on every piece of equipment that we have. So you know, the jobs of the future, you know, the great opportunity is you got all this data. <laughs> the challenge is what do you do with all this data, right? And how do you make sense of it? You know, data, for data's sake, is just you know, it's, it's something to be managed. But you have to turn that data into analysis and information. You know, a simple thing like uh, when we put the uh, automatic meter reading system in, years ago, it was basically just to save us money on meter reads. Mm -hmm. Today, it helps us tell whether the customer's lights are on or off. It gives us information that we can provide to you about how does your energy usage compare with your neighbors? What are some opportunities to save? Some of those major storms that I talked about earlier, we were able to get the lights on two, three days sooner than we would have normally just by having better information about the system status that was out there. That's two or three days earlier for some of those folks that are on the tail end of the storm, and that means a lot. That's millions and millions of dollars saved because we're able to get the lights on sooner. So those jobs around managing data, automation, I think are gonna be huge in our industry just like others. Great. So folks, we have time for one more question because we want to be respectful of uh, everybody's time. And my one question, sorry, Lou, I get the last question. I, I, yeah. <laughs> That's what happens when you're in the front That's of the room, That's right. <laughs> Mike, you can change one thing about the energy space in the greater Philadelphia region. It could be regulatory, it could be efficiency, it could be access, it could be talent. Is there something that stands out for you that if you could change that one thing, that one thing that keeps you up at night, that if, you, if we just get this thing right, 
it'll really move the needle for the energy space in the greater Philadelphia region. Is there anything that stands out like that? It's a real tough one. You know, I would really say, I think maybe better collaboration. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you could just take about every one of the challenges. If I would have given you the laundry list of stuff that we could have done better, I think whether it's business, whether it's private sector, public sector, whether it's our nonprofits with the for-profit entities, whether it's our community organizations, our legislators, I think you could take every one of these different challenges and problems and you put it in that bucket of collaboration together. And I think we could really, I think they'll all become solvable, solvable problems. Collaboration is the key for sure. Folks, I want to thank you all for taking time out to be part of the Chamber's CEO Connection. I especially want to thank Mike Inincenzo for taking time out of his busy day. Really look forward to watching your career grow over the next 10, 15, 20 years here at PICO, Mike, as you lead the team. And thanks for being with us right here on Growing Greater Philadelphia. Thank you. Appreciate it. Mike Inincenzo, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. That was great. Thank you. That was really good. Thank Thank you. This segment of Growing Greater Philadelphia is brought to us by the Commercial Banking Division of Citizens Bank. You know, the Citizens Bank team, they bring practical financial experience and deep industry expertise to each banking relationship. To learn how Citizens can help your company reach its full potential, visit citizensbank.com backslash commercial. And be sure to check out all of our podcasts at radio.com and tune in Friday mornings, 5 a.m. to Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Thanks so much for listening to Growing Greater Philadelphia. Philadelphia.